0: Welcome to the Art Stays Here Coalition's new podcast series, Culture Crisis Conversations. In the series, we'll hear from folks affected by the ongoing arts, music, and cultural displacement that's happening across the country. These include artists, musicians, and other creatives, as well as developers, policymakers, funders, operators, arts and cultural leaders, and more. They will share their stories in their own voices to best communicate the impact that cultural displacement has had on individuals and communities and how we can choose to make it stop. Welcome to the Art Stays Here Coalition's new podcast series, Culture Crisis Conversations. This is the very first episode. And we'll explain who we are, what we do, and how we got here. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Amy Bennett. I've worked in different parts of the arts uh, over the past 30 years. At first, I started working in the commercial music business in New York, uh, working for major labels, Polygram, Sony, etc. Then I switched to artist management and worked for High Noon Entertainment and Nasty Little Man. Then I moved back to Boston, started two visual art galleries that were, quote, alternative. One was at the Paradise Lounge Gallery, which was the front room of the Paradise Rock Club. And then Space 242, which was uh, in what we call now SOA, south of Washington, in the south end. I've done PR, marketing, fundraising, and events for theaters and different arts nonprofits. I've had my own company, Motor Media Management. And worked with clients like First Night Boston, Boston Book Festival, Arts Emerson, and lots more. How I got connected to this project is that I am a volunteer consultant to Humphrey Street Studios, uh, which is an arts workspace studio group in Dorchester. I also consult on Dorchester Art Project, Fort Point Arts Community, and others. I live in the Cedar Grove Adams Village neighborhood of Dorchester, where I've been for 12 years, and then we formed Art Stays Here. You'll hear about that in a minute.
1: Hi, Uh, my name is Christina Tedesco, and I am a professional scenic designer in opera, film, and theater mostly. Um, I've had a workspace at Humphrey Street Studio since 2004 when I um, got my master's in scenic design at Boston University, and I um, have been on the Humphreys uh, Street Studio steering committee for the past four years, something we formed after our property was put on the market, and we had to mobilize and try and prevent our own displacement. Um, For the last 25 years, I've lived in Dorchester, um, and around that, I've lived in South Boston, Quincy, Milton, and I am a volunteer founding member of the Art Stays Here Coalition.
2: Uh, Ethan Dussault? co-operator, co-owner, head engineer of New Alliance Audio, uh, now in Somerville, Massachusetts. Uh, Studio was formerly in uh, Central Square, Cambridge at the EMF building, RIP. Before that, the studio was in uh, an old tire warehouse building in the Fenway. I've been making records in the Boston area since 1999. Uh, That's when I started interning at New Alliance. I went back when it was in the Fenway. I have played bass and bands through the Boston area for almost as much time. I just don't do it as much as I make recordings. Uh, Yeah, so I basically came to the Art Stays Here Coalition through my involvement in Boston music um, and, you know, with the desire to help prevent displacement, having been through it twice with the studio. And I'm hoping that somehow in this conversation, we can not only A, Save tons of artist spaces for others, but also maybe find a permanent home for one of the longest running recording studios in Boston music history.
0: Great. Thank you guys for being here today. Uh, For folks who don't know, the Art Stays Here Coalition is a Massachusetts nonprofit organization committed to preventing arts, music, and cultural displacement across greater Boston. We are currently an all volunteer organization. And our current team has a handful of other advocates uh, in addition to us who uh, who we work with. We have uh, Sam, Becky, Franklin, a bunch of other folks that are kind of on the fringe, too. We're all on the fringe. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We want to acknowledge them just Mm because they're not here for this podcast. We should also note that this conversation is coming to you today from New Alliance Audio in Union Square, Somerville a Boston area recording studio displaced and rebuilt twice as Ethan has already explained. Thanks, Ethan, Nick, everybody for having us here today. Um, And we also want to thank new Alliance audio, new Alliance East and the record co for partnering with art stays here on this podcast series. Our Culture Crisis Conversations series will talk with lots of different folks who are stakeholders in the arts, music, cultural space displacement conversation. These include artists, musicians, other creatives, developers, policymakers, funders, operators, arts and cultural leaders, and more. This series is meant to be long form for those affected to share their own stories in their own voices, to best communicate the impact that cultural displacement has had on individuals and communities and why we must choose to make it stop. So why don't we kind of give folks an understanding about what the problem is, how artist displacement works and how it's not a new thing.
2: Right. It's been going on for decades in most cities. I had heard of it happening, you know, in the nineties, but like back then there were buildings that you could retreat to, you know, there was more available space back then the first time we were displaced the red sox had won the world series all that land in the fenway became a uh, prime you know, prime hot commodity and so basically any any old building that was being used by artist communities that was you know ripe you know because the, the the property value skyrockets the family that owns the business like is like ooh we are it's our big it's our payday it's our big chance
0: time to cash out time
2: to cash out they sell the building and the developers have no interest in they have no interest in keeping the tenants let alone keep the building the building the whole purpose of the purchase was we're going to buy this parcel knock everything down and build up you know you would you would hope that that would mean that everybody gets to move back in and then Because the building is much larger, everybody else that wants to use the building can use the rest of the building. But no, usually what happens is the building gets knocked down, the artists and tenants get displaced, and then they have to go fend for themselves somewhere else.
0: And in those days, you could still go to Cambridge and
2: Somerville. Right, right, right. But those days are are over. And I think that's something that's happening in, in most major cities globally, probably, if not just the United States.
0: Because what happens once you go to Cambridge and Somerville? It happens again. Yeah, yeah. The artists come in. Yeah. Make things great. Make it a destination. Raise yeah. the property values. Yep. Yeah. And then it happens again. Yeah.
2: And 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 artists don't like being a part of that cycle because most artists are people who are low income themselves, or many of them are, and so they're very sensitive to gentrification issues. And the last thing they want to do is be a contributor to that vicious cycle, but. I mean, that's exploitation for you. It's not.
0: And then what happens? Then you go to Lowell and Pawtucket and Haverhill.
2: And it's, it's unending at some point, because at some point Lowell will become a big city at some point, Pawtucket, I mean, these are Mm the, first of all, Pawtucket and Lowell are already Mm -hmm. cities Mm -hmm. at some point. I mean, you know, we keep making babies. These places are just going to keep getting bigger. As a friend has said many times, they won't stop until we're pushed into the ocean. So, you know, it's been long past time to have this conversation. And I know that there's issues out there that are, like, very pressing, very sensitive. We have, you know, water and food issues. We have a housing. housing. Crisis. We have housing issues. We have a lot of...
1: Climate huge, issues.
2: Climate issues. There's a lot of really important things out there that, sure, you know, um, take priority in a lot of ways. But... I kind of subscribe to this prosperity mindset where you can solve more than one problem and you don't have to. You um, can care about more than one you, problem. You can care about more than one problem and you can solve more than one problem and it doesn't have to be at the expense of another if you do it wisely.
1: Right. And I think just piggybacking on that, there, there are a group of people um, and we're growing that and we're trying to nurture that of people who believe that art is a necessity for public health, for public good, and what happens when these groups of artists get pushed out of neighborhoods is the the neighborhoods and the city lose. They lose a great deal, and it happens slowly, and I think people don't even realize what's going on, that arts have left. The other thing that happens sometimes is that art gets imported into cities from outside. So all of a sudden we don't have a communal um, group of art making and creativity. There's some great stuff happening in Dorchester in terms of um, mural work and artists coming together and creating things in neighborhoods that actually affect people's day-to-day lives. People walk by art you know, I appreciate that. I realize that people live among art. Yeah. And, and I think when we keep artists in neighborhoods, in neighborhoods that, you know, sure, there are industrial neighborhoods that have lots of artists, but there are also um, neighborhoods that have families and to have artists live among, um, or work among these, uh, these people, these everyday people, I think is a huge benefit to the people living there. And that's one of the things that I think that we as artists need to protect, protect, um, what's the word, exhibit, um, what's the word?
2: Exemplify, exemplify show off, showcase.
1: <laughs> showcase, prove, I don't know if prove is the right word, but it needs to be, you um, reinforced or enforced that that arts in neighborhoods is a common good it's a public good it's for um it's for public health well and it's how people um
0: express themselves whether through writing or playing music or creating visual art Mm -hmm. there are so many different ways for people to express themselves and to communicate ideas but there's problem solving through arts there's uh You know, Fortune five hundred corporations that hire artists to be on their boards to help uh, creative problem solving and to look at things quote outside the box. I think we don't. I think the word you were looking for was like to name it. Like we need to name Mm -hmm. that art has a value, and that having artists and art amongst our lives is valuable. It's been
2: taken for granted. Correct. We we are. It's it's such a part of our lives. That it's like air, like we don't even think about it. It's so ubiquitous. It's so a part of our surroundings that we just carry on like it's always going to be there. Right. Um, And and, what
0: we've been learning is that it's not always going to be right.
2: You know, it's like your fitness coach tells you use it or lose it. The political scientists of the world say you have freedom and democracy if you can keep it. Right. Same thing with pretty much everything. It's like if we want this art to continue and to comfort us, and it's like the pandemic was proof positive just how valuable art is to our daily lives. Arts got people through the pandemic.
0: And what we mean by that is everything that was streaming, everything that was on cable, movies, Mm -hmm. newspapers, I mean, just books, people needed to fill their time. And, (laughs) um, you know, it takes hundreds and hundreds of artists to make a streaming tv show
1: right and the other thing though that's misleading about that it can also give the perception that art can only happen by or through people of privilege people who are making film people who are you know have have a show uh on streaming on netflix but the thing is, it can happen on any street. It can happen- um, On any smartphone. Yeah, a- and, and so yes, during the pandemic, we leaned on our um, technology. We leaned on the things that were brought to us um, and we couldn't convene and we couldn't create things together. And as a theater person, that was my case. So what, what we did lose is that community. I'm not saying that the stuff on Netflix, the stuff on cable TV is very valuable, but we have to maintain our positions in neighborhoods, in real spaces, with, um, with people sharing space. Can you give the anecdote that uh, John Barros said when he first found out about Humphrey Street? Yeah, so it struck me really strongly that... Um, we're on eleven Humphrey Street in um, Upham's Corner in Dorchester, and John Barrows, who was when we spoke with him, he was the uh, Chief of Economic Development during marty walsh's mayoralship, and he said, "Wow, if I knew you guys were here when I was a kid, I might have been an artist instead of going into politics and that struck me so hard kind of emotionally, because I thought, wow, he could have chosen to be an artist because it meant that much to him. He he paints, I guess. But I also thought, wow, I'm really glad he went into politics as well. But, but to actually equate those two things, those two vocations, and maybe even weighing more on the artist, on being an artist, I found that to be really incredible and something that... Um, I think people need to know and think about, yeah, you can be an artist. Yeah. You can, you can, um, have a life as an artist.
2: During the pandemic, I saw national acts and I saw local acts performing from their living rooms for free, you know, sometimes asking for donations sometimes, but I mean, you're not old and you're just, you're, you're tapping into their Instagram or Facebook feed and, you're getting a free acoustic concert from a platinum artist. You know, local venues that were shuttered, that were losing their livelihoods, in a lot of cases, still managed to like try to make something out of it by hosting unattended concerts. You know, stay streamed. You know, so it went anywhere from these big budget, multi-million dollar, all hands on deck, five hundred artists needed to make this show, down to I have an acoustic guitar and a little bit of skill. And I'm going to play music for you for a few hours while you're stuck at home. And we've got SAG-AFTRA and the WGA on strike right now. And everybody should be paying attention and supporting that because it's part of this conversation. While while our focus is primarily on local and workspaces, it's all the same conversation. Artists are often the first to give and the last to receive in a lot of ways. And very like, you want to talk about, first of all, I want to say everybody's underpaid, no matter what field you're in, you're underpaid. All my friends are overworked and underpaid. It's true. And then, and then if you're an artist, it's worse.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, there's a very small percentage of artists who are valued in terms of pay, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so the majority of the artists who are striking are the ones who aren't recognized, right. you know, so it is that, that, that issue of value and not valuing, um, basically not valuing the arts and how important it is for anyone's growth and for, for your growth as a human being. And when we talk about Art stays here. Some of our
0: impetus and mission and value, you know, it was born out of the work done at Humphrey Street Studios, which we'll talk about in a minute. But what that work taught us is that this has been going on for decades and that it will continue unless someone or some people or some group makes it stop. And what we've decided is that that's advocacy. That's through our new nonprofit called Art Stays Here Coalition. And we think that art is for everyone. We think that people need to learn about it, stand up for it, get involved, pay attention. And we need to educate people about place keeping, not just place making. We hear a lot about funding and we hear a lot about place making and turning things into other things. But we have to keep the cultural assets that we have, whether they're performance venues, artist workspaces, music rehearsal studios, galleries, etc. and that will take effort because we see them every single day closing whether they're artist studios, whether it's a venue across town, it's just the rent's too damn high. And another thing that we've been talking about is subsidy, which, you know, we'll get to later, but you know, I think the the thing that if you're wondering, you know, what does Art Stays Here do and how did we all come together and who are who are we? We are people that want to stop the insanity. We want to stop cultural displacement. We think there's a bunch of ways on how you do that. Part of it's working with government. Part of it's working with artists and creatives. Part of it is working with funders. Part of it is creating policy. And the part that we're at right now is saying it out loud getting people to hear about what we have to say most of the people involved agree and that some change needs to be made because otherwise we know what happens when we don't intervene you move to lowell you move to pawtucket and maybe you gotta move to maine and move to canada and (laughs) (laughs) um and then, you know, we're not even talking about what displacement does to individuals, what it does to the artists, what it does to markets, neighborhoods, communities, and destinations, but the idea of people coming together and collaborating and what those organic communities are is really something that's jarringly, intensely lost. When we talk about Humphrey Street Studios, sometimes you've heard me say that I've never seen a more organically diverse group of people or artists or creatives in my life. And when we hear people talk about EMF, that there will never be another EMF. It's about, you know, the random and not so random groupings of people that were in one place, kind of doing one thing or a bunch of different things all at the same time, all with common goals. And you cannot recreate those things. You can't take the same people, put them in another building or in another neighborhood and it will be the same. It's just, it's not how it works.
2: So a couple of thoughts about placekeeping and what and what you're talking about. And I'm not saying that, that every city needs to have an Abbey Road Studios, but you better believe Abbey Road Studios, that building is gonna sit around for a very long time If if anybody has anything to say about it over there, right? And the thing is, is that not everybody makes records the way they did when Abbey Road first opened. When Abbey Road first opened, The technology that they were using to record was nothing compared to what it is now. The way the Beatles made records, the way the artists prior to the Beatles made records is not how people make records in Abbey Road today. But that space is still there. It's still an inspirational place to be. It's an inspirational place to see. And it doesn't matter how much of a cultural impact you have on the world. Like, you don't have to be the Beatles to have made a place culturally relevant for preservation, the EMF building, I've never heard a good excuse as to why that shouldn't still be a music building to this day. And it's, and it's not, it's heartbreaking, but I think there are many Abbey roads all over the place. But because our value set only says, oh, it has to be the Beatles, we have to achieve Beatles status before it's worth saving. Come on, no. The Beatles wouldn't be the Beatles if there weren't hundreds of other musicians not succeeding at being the Beatles, you know, we need to value placekeeping for people who don't become successful because they're still contributing artistically. Uh, maybe they have a regional success that that changes hearts and minds regionally. That's huge. Maybe they have no reach whatsoever, but they're just uh, an integral part of the creative community. They're a nice face you see at the coffee shop or the bar, and that you know. Uh, it's like that butterfly, like the, yeah, like the, yeah. like you, mm-hmm. like you, you, you know, one act of kindness, like mm-hmm. resonates down, down the, well, uh, down the chain.
1: Yeah. And enriches their life and the, you know, the, the lives around them, um, right. who come in contact with them. Well, and especially in this market or
0: this region, you know, which we're calling greater Boston, um, and all of the colleges, not just all the colleges, but all the creative and music and arts colleges, whether you're Berkeley or the conservatory or mass art, etc. Um, another reason why people need to care is because we're educating people here and then we're losing people because we don't have assets. We don't have studios. We don't have apartments. We don't have things that creatives can afford once they graduate. And, you know, this plays economically, it plays culturally, it plays personally, emotionally. There's so many reasons why this is so important and it crosses so many different kinds of people and activity throughout our region. So. That will introduce the podcast series. You'll hear from musicians. You'll hear from people that have been displaced and lost. You'll hear from people that have fought displacement and won. You'll hear from government. You'll hear from developers and commercial real estate brokers. This slices a whole bunch of different ways. It slices real estate, policy, money, advocacy. And at this particular time right now, which is September of 2023. One thing that we know that we've been missing is advocacy. And that's why we're here. That's why we're volunteering our time to try to help solve this problem, because we value art and we value culture and we value the spaces that we need in order to do it. Sometimes people just think about going to a concert, you know, at MGM or going to the theater at the Huntington or, you know, visiting one of our museums. I don't know if people take time to think about where that art was made, where it was drafted, where it was worked through, where it was sometimes a play, a song, a record and painting could have been worked on for years in different iterations before it ever appears for public consumption. And it's not just the individual artists in our region who are losing their individual workspaces. A lot of our theaters, a lot of our dance companies, a lot of our operas don't have said places that they can rehearse all the time. Um, space is becoming scarce. And when it with scarcity, people try to keep things to themselves. And I think one of the values that we're trying to put forth with Art Stays Here is for people to come together and share their resources, share their values so that we can go from scarcity to having enough. And this work in some ways is very ephemeral (laughs) and it's in your brain and it's thoughts and it's conversations. But what we're here in the series is here to talk about is how folks can help, how you can learn about it, how you can get involved and how you can support the arts and music and cultural scene in your backyard.
1: And I think to add on, Amy, to share experiences. So with Humphrey Street, we learned so much during our preservation campaign, preservation um, process that artists don't win usually. Right. And I didn't really realize that. Um, I didn't think it through. I was just a bunch of us um, at Humphrey Street. We were just desperate to save our space. Um, Had no idea how to do it. Listened to uh, the chief of arts and culture speak about uh, Cara Elliott Ortega, speak about... um, Making noise. Making noise that the more artists who can speak together with one voice the more people will listen. And and that has stuck with me. Well, that's actually what our coalition is, the, right? is the noise, the many voices together right. making so noise. This yeah. is the natural sort of progression of that beginning um, at Humphrey Street. So we knew right away that we all had to really get to know each other, come to a consensus about what it was we wanted to do and how we were going to do it and um and then I called Amy Bennett so in the um, beginning
0: we're not going to get too deep into the Humphrey Street situation here because it will be its own episode down the line but the long and the short of it is that it's about 40 individual artist studios in Upham's Corner Dorchester Um, it was at risk it is now majority artist owned and operated as affordable artist workspaces in perpetuity in partnership with New Atlantic, and that is because of years of preservation and community work that a whole bunch of volunteers did. And from that work became the Art Stays Here Coalition. And um, we can actually say that on November 19th of 2022, we had a ribbon-cutting ceremony at Humphrey Street to celebrate that win that... (laughs) Uh, every single person we came across said it'll never happen it'll never happen it'll never happen and that was called Art Stays Here Day in the city of Boston uh, which we'll continue to celebrate on November 19th as we move forward and um, from there during this whole Humphrey Street process we started to talk to other folks who had either already been displaced like the Piano Factory or Amory Street or Brookside or all these different places we learned how much loss there has been at Fort Point. We learned how much loss has been all over the city and the region. And it really stuck with us that, you know, why do we get to succeed? Then we also started learning about people that were at risk now, like 119 Braintree Street and a whole bunch of others. And so we said we need to take what we learned and help other people. And the way we're doing that is called the Art Stays Here Coalition
2: we're talking about saving spaces, right? And that looks like a lot of things, you know, there are music venues, there are art galleries, there are halls and community centers and stuff like that. But one of the biggest, I mean, the the, I mean Humphrey street is an example of the kind of building that is one of the more devastating types of losses that the arts and culture scene can experience because what we have is well especially in boston and in the northeast we have a lot of these old brick buildings mill buildings you know some warehouses of some kind you know
0: light industrial light
2: industrial right And, and we're 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 actually sitting in one of uh three buildings that used to be known as the american tube works complex and they used to receive sheets of copper here and they'd heat them up and roll them into tubes and then ship out a whole bunch of copper tubes across the country. And it's buildings like this in the Northeast that typically become homes to. Well, you
0: know, first they become vacant. <laughs>
1: for a long First time.
2: they become vacant for a long time. And then artists get wind that they're vacant and the landlords are like, Oh, nobody wants to buy back then. Nobody wanted to buy the building. Now everybody wants to buy everything. But then, yeah. So the artists would get wind of an opportunity to, you know,
0: Make something of nothing.
2: Make something of nothing, and so in this building we have a handful of uh, recording studios. We have many uh, visual arts studios, anywhere from sculptors, drafters, painters, videographer, photographers, textile artists. Text. We have we have textile artists. We have um, jewelry makers. Um, this building really does have have a, a wide range of disciplines, and these buildings are very old, late 1800s usually. Um, the construction is rugged and it's amazing and it's so cool to just stare at it sometimes but they're becoming more rare and because that's all artists can afford we've been conditioned to kind of seek these types of buildings out and we we fill them up in a lot of ways and so when one goes down now we're talking about hundreds of artists, anywhere from, anywhere from a hundred artists to a thousand artists, depending on the square footage of the building displaced from their studios, which when you're living in a city is an extension of your home. It's part of your home. You know, you don't live when you live in the suburbs, you have a basement or you have a garage or something. And when you live in the city, you don't really have that resource. So what you do is you have your apartment that you rent or own, and then you find a space that's in a, like an annex to your house that is your creative space so when you lose these spaces it's not just that you're losing a creative hangout spot or uh, an office or something like that you're losing something that's incredibly personal because art is an extension of who you are and then the space like i said is in the city it's basically an extension of your home so it's a very devastating loss when these buildings go away and it affects a lot of people and in, in turn it affects the surrounding community both socially like christina mentioned earlier and um economically which I'm, I'm less concerned about i think i think we need to start focusing more on the social good mm-hmm. um even though i mean the economic good is outrageous i mean it's very high economic good to have artists in your cities it generates tons of money. I think in Boston the arts and cultural sector generates more than the sports
0: does. Yeah, and you could uh, go to artsboston.org, which is a nonprofit service organization. They have something called the Arts Factor, which is uh legit research on what Ethan's talking about and the economic impact of like every time someone goes to a concert or goes to the theater, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we need to take
1: note of that and invest more in it. Mm. And even socially um, so say open studios there's a there's a giant building, a mill building that's filled with artists in a neighborhood and people open their doors they open their doors they share themselves they're generous with their their work and their space to people who are interested and that has a lasting impact I think on visitors and all kinds of visitors, children, People of all ages, these can be very influential experiences that get lost. And they also lead to
0: unlikely collaborations, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, hugely, hugely valuable. Um, Even at Humphrey Street, you know, we would talk to one person who would make furniture and another person who would create metal fasteners for them and another one who would uh, help install them somewhere else and just. Like, if you were doing your own work in your own studio, in your own home or somewhere else, you wouldn't come across not, not just other artistries or ways to in- evolve your own practice, but your own experience. And when we talk more about Humphrey Street later, we can talk about all the many different
1: immigrants and folks we as- yeah. have yeah, there. Yeah, it's just opportunity for everybody in every way when you share space with people.
2: If you're listening and you've never been to an open studios, the next time you hear of one, go. It's worth it.
1: And
0: uh, you can check out a full list at the Massachusetts Cultural Council uh, website, especially for all the ones that are coming up this fall in September and October.
2: Even if you even if you see like I don't know, let's say there's let's say you go to one building and only you know ten artists are participating. Even if only one of them created something that resonates with you, it's worth it. It's, it's, it was, it was a, that's your massive victory.
1: Right. It's and and it's free, free museum and it's free. <laughs> <laughs> with living artists. Right, right. With artists who are there and you can talk to them and you can ask them questions. Well, and what we can tell you is that the weekend before
0: Thanksgiving in November, both Brick Bottom and Joy Street over here, right off of Union Square is having open studios. Uh, Humphrey Street is having fall open studios in October. October 21st and 22nd. And um, Google Open Studios in the Boston area, Cambridge is having it, you know, all of the yeah. areas, Waltham, Medford, I mean, Lexington. I mean,
2: yeah. I mean, just, I mean, no matter where you are, Google Open Studios, I, if you're in...
1: Support, And
0: local you can also art. go Phoenix. to SOA, you can go to SOA every first Friday and go to the Open Studios there and all the galleries. And uh, in Lowell at Western Avenue Studios, first Saturdays, 12 to 5, Open Studios every month. You could fill your entire time going to Studios.
2: And if your city doesn't have an open studios, talk to your local government about figuring out how to make that happen.
0: So you might be wondering what the Art Stays Here
1: Coalition does. We do a lot of different things. So we try and speak to as many artists that we know are... Um, in danger of being displaced a lot of them reach out to us some of um how we hear about these artists is through other people and we'll just reach out and we try and get as much information about their building about how many artist tenants there are whether they have you know relationships with each other whether if there's any kind of tenants association whether they have leases whether they have leases and and we try to to meet as many artists as possible and what we've been finding is that sometimes especially after the pandemic there hasn't been a, as tight of um, a community in in buildings um i think that's one of the big things we've noticed so sometimes the artists themselves have to really kind of go out there and connect as best they can with people. Sometimes, you know, they have day jobs that aren't at the studio, so it can be tough. But again, one of the most important things that uh, building has to do is to come together as artists and sort of recognize the the issue, obviously, and um, form a tenants' association. And we've met with several groups where we've. It's, it's taken some time to get large amounts of artists within a building to come to some of these meetings, but eventually a Tenants Association gets formed.
0: Ethan, can you say what the benefits of forming a Tenants Association are? Or what is a Tenants Association and why should folks form them?
2: Going off personal experience with the two buildings that I've been in that were shut down, the lack of Tenants Association present in both of those situations is exactly why it went as badly as it went for the artists had the artists been organized in both buildings well before any hint of there being a sale of the building or a redevelopment of the parcel the music community would have just been in much better place to stay together to get support to get support from um, private and public resources So not only do you get displaced, but you lose friendships, you lose bandmates, you lose community, you lose,
0: you might lose an income,
2: you might lose income, you know, um, there's no guarantee that a tenants association means you get to keep all those things, but the chances of you keeping those things, if there's a tenants association in place, drastically increases. Yeah. Like there's a huge benefit. Um, when it comes to the fallout to having a tenants association, because there's a community cohesion that happens.
1: And it's the speaking with one voice thing. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that that is really important when you're speaking to a landlord or when you are seeking help, if you are trying to find support Or maybe a benevolent developer, that you're all on the same page and that you're all transparent with each other, that you know what's going on, that there is a meeting you can come to and know what the plan is.
2: You know, how many times have you heard, oh, like, oh, they're so unreasonable, oh, they want all this stuff? It's like, Usually that just comes from chaos. That's the chaos of having 50 voices coming at you. It's not that the 50 voices per se are being unreasonable. They're probably not. But the fact that they hear 50 voices instead of one makes it feel like it's unreasonable, like it's chaos. If you get everybody on the same page, it shows to them, hey, unity, they're they're unified, they're organized, they're not all you know, wild and crazy and asking for cra- all, the, all these different things. Right. Um, it's not about, it's not even, it's not like, it's not really about you and what you're asking for being outrageous. It's about it being perceived as outrageous. So when you, when you, when you get everybody asking in 50 different emails, each email asking in its own way, like to the person receiving it is it's overload. overload. It's too much. But if you get it all down to one email and you say roughly the same thing, but it's in one email backed by 50 people, it's way more effective at getting your point across. And
0: Well, it's effective for communication, but it's also effective for um, empowering the tenant situation, mm-hmm. meaning sometimes a landlord or an owner might think... Oh, you know they're disorganized or they can't get it together. or You know this person's saying that and that person saying this, when everybody's saying one thing,
2: you have to be taken seriously. And and the government, local government, definitely will take you more seriously. I mean, developers like you know some are some are one way, some are another way. But like mm-hmm. government doing its job, if they're being responsible with their with their roles, if they see you organized like that, you, they will definitely.
0: They want to respond to they, constituents, they,
2: they, and and if you're if you're a unified block of constituents, even better.
0: So that's a lot of what we did at Humphrey Street. That's what we're doing with some of our other projects. Is that we meet with artists, find out what's going on in their situation, ask about you know what is it that they're hoping to accomplish, and we set out different plans based on each situation, not every situation is the same at all. First of all, there are some in different cities. How things happen in Boston is different than Cambridge is different than Somerville. There's redevelopment versus uh, a rental situation. Uh, There's difference when it's music versus visual art. The thing that is the same is that lots of creatives are at risk and there's not enough space to rehome people. We're hoping to change that. The thing that is different is, you know, sometimes people really love their landlords and don't want to, you know, cause them any harm. Sometimes people uh, don't have the time to gather together and have meetings and become an association. Sometimes uh, people feel like they don't have the skill set and this is work that they've never done before and, you know, uh, feel like a fish out of water. Christina, could you talk a little bit about the Humphrey Street Tenants Association and kind of, what how that has come to be
1: sure Uh, we had to create the association during the pandemic so it was a little bit tough because not a lot of people were going to the studio but the people who were going to the studio we knocked on people's doors and we basically talked about what was at risk and i think because the, the information was so piecemeal, what we were getting from um, our situation and the landlord, it was complicated. So it was tough to really describe what was going on. So sometimes I'd visit people, talk to them in person. Sometimes I would call them. Um, and sometimes I would email them. But I was really adamant, and you know, there were a, there were a handful of us doing this work, to try and speak to each tenant, to really um, explain, let them know what was going on. Explain everything we knew and what was really at risk. Because a lot of people, I think, and and we didn't want to believe it either. But oh, you know, it's not going to happen. But we came really close to losing the building, and. It, it was just very important that we had um, as, as many tenants um, face-to-face or on the phone or talking to them as possible. Um, just connecting with them in a way that, you know, they could understand. It was complicated. It was also hard. You know, people generally,
0: you know, some people don't read their emails. Some people don't care. Some people don't have time. Some people can't make the meeting. Some people don't have skills to communicate with each other. Right. But some people do. And I think one thing that we've learned working with, you know, close to a dozen different groups at this point is that it doesn't take everybody, It takes a handful of people Mm -hmm. and, um, it takes a good message and, you know, consistent hard work to make people listen and to make things change. Mm -hmm.
2: And it's important to remember, like everybody's got their own battles, you know, Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: so it's to people organizing out their sympathies. We've all felt it, but don't take it personally. Everybody's got stuff going on and not everybody's built for it remind yourself of that when you're feeling like it's getting too hard it'll it'll be okay <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. you'll meet a lot of people doing it i mean you can you can make friends <laughs> <laughs>
0: and every artist group every group is different every building is different so you know we have for example um, both charlestown rehearsal studios and the former sound museum were over 700 musicians per place At Humphrey Street, we have about 50 artists. At 119 Braintree Street, we probably had about 60. We're now down to about 20. You know, especially the music part, I think people are really surprised to hear that there are so many musicians out there. And it's because bands are sharing spaces to save money and to like, you know, share a schedule. It's because there are so few (laughs) places around, whether for visual artists or music. And it's, been really remarkable to learn about all the places and like what makes them special and kind of the culture of each space and no two are the same no two are the same and also everyone is afraid of getting displaced because that's what's going on now everyone is afraid that rents are going to continue to go up people are afraid that they don't have protections or long long enough leases to keep them somewhere and uh moving is traumatic not just because of your community, and not just because of the move, it interrupts the creative process like nothing we've ever seen, and it's really hard to create when you don't know where you're going to do it,
1: and it's expensive.
2: I mean, I I, I don't even know how I would list that hierarchy: like disruption of the just devastation to the community, the expense, or the disruption of the creative process. They all.
0: And they, heartbreak. All, they, they all
2: over they all overlap in this yeah, and the, yeah, and there's there's the overlap there, and then there's this one giant circle of heartbreak that incul- engulfs all three of those things, yeah.
0: That's why we call this a culture crisis, yeah. because we think our culture is at risk and in crisis. And it's a crisis for everyone, mm-hmm. and not just in Boston, but all over the country. Our creative sector is one of the reasons why all these places like Amazon want to come to Boston, you know, when having enough things to do for your employees, having enough things to do for families. And if we start to, if we continue to lose all these things, there will be nothing for people to do Mm -hmm. except stay home and watch Netflix. Yeah. I mean, a lot of
2: people, a lot of people move to major cities for the culture, the culture like, Oh that's the city that that produced you know this band and that band and oh that's the city that produced this musical act and this poet or this writer or, th- or this artist and they you know that stuff resonated with them and so they go check out the city They're like, oh this is a nice i'd actually i would like to live here and then Ten years later, the city looks completely different and everything that they liked is gone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and you can't afford it. And you can't afford it anymore. Yeah. So what we set out to do here at the Arts Stacey Coalition, some of it is pretty straightforward and tangible and some of it is ideas and plans. So our goals are that within the next couple of years that we would become a fully funded uh, regional or state agency That we'd have a staff of people. When
2: you say state agency, you don't mean part of the state government.
0: No, I mean like acting. Statewide. Statewide. Sorry. (laughs) Yes. As a location. And that we would do a number of different things, most of which we currently do, but we would do them better, more efficiently and more effectively. We would help the artist groups the way that we're doing now, helping them advocate, figuring out their situations We would, in some ways, act like a CDC, which is um, a community development corporation. And uh, what I mean by that, not to actually be a CDC, but to be able to buy, own, develop, rent, operate spaces so that we can contribute to creating more inventory for when people get displaced. For example... If an artist group in Brighton is getting displaced, well, we already have this other thing over in Charlestown, and we have 33 studios, and we can start moving people over there. Currently, we don't have any inventory to move people that are at risk, which is basically the crux of the problem. We would also work with government and legislation on protections and policies, whether that's like what Mass Creative is doing with their Legislation on Cultural Space Act. We would work with municipalities or regions on you know different things like zoning and making it so that what happens in Boston also happens in Cambridge and in Somerville because we look at that as a regional ecosystem. Some of it would be funding for the artist groups to be able to come self-sufficient and manage and operate their own community spaces, There's just so much that we plan to do and will continue to do. And one of the things that we're doing this year is our podcast series. We're also doing an event series. Stay tuned for that. And we also believe that this problem, at least in the greater Boston area, is actually finite, meaning we don't need thousands and thousands of artist studios or music rehearsal studios or, you know, we need a good amount But once we have them, they need to stay, they need to stay, and then we protect them. So we plan on getting with the governor, and we've been talking with mayors and with city councils across the region, MAPC,
2: Metropolitan Area Planning Council,
0: is uh, doing a great big regional project right now, which is going to help come up with some tools to help the municipalities work on these problems together. But we've been helping a lot of people, and it's been really rewarding even just doing these podcast interviews and talking with people and you know, all the people that we've helped all the people we've tried to help all the people that need help, um, has been really rewarding. Can you guys talk a little bit about what that's been for you?
2: I have yet to receive my reward. <laughs> just kidding.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know when you think, so I mean, like I you, you brought CRS into the fold, right? So like, yeah.
2: So, um, you know, my, my main contribution from a discipline standpoint is music so i'm tapped into a lot of the conversations around music scene happenings and so for example we lost the emf building with music rehearsal building sound museum music rehearsal building then we get studio 52 oh well they're closing but they're reopening down the street okay and then the last one in the in the area within the um but not not within the whole area, but within Boston, Cambridge, Somerville area, um, is Charlestown rehearsal studios. And right as, right as we feel like we're like doing okay. And, uh, the hair on fire moments have kind of slowed. Nope. Uh, it looks like Charlestown rehearsal studios, uh, might be closing or is uh, at risk is at risk. And that came to me through, you know, social media, Multiple channels, uh, DMs, posts—you know—kind of just blew up one day. And my proximity to all those musicians means that I'm that you know the Facebook algorithm kind of worked, and I saw that stuff immediately. And I know a handful of artists there that I've recorded over the years and reached out to them, and we started that conversation. And now they're on track to stay. And there, it seems like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I get a—I mean, in terms of reward, I do get a sense of accomplishment and helping people. You know, it feels good to help people.
0: But people are starting to pay attention. People are starting to notice that the conversation is here, that people are talking about it, that government and the media and other kinds of people are taking note and that people want to celebrate wins instead of mourn
1: losses. Right. I think um, for me, some of the conversations in the beginning with artists were really eye-opening. We did a series called um, Faces and Places at Humphrey Street where just so people could see what is at stake of being lost, we interviewed almost every artist at Humphrey Street, took pictures of them in their space, talked to them about the value of that workspace and what would happen if they didn't have it. And it was pretty devastating. We also took that project to 119, and the people that I met were incredible. The artists, the, the um, diversity of practices, and just being able to be in someone's space. It wasn't an open studio setting, so it was just one-on-one talking to people about their work. It was an eye opener to me about how we can expose the problem to the public, showing them that these 15 artists who are doing incredible work in this neighborhood and, you know, they're world class, some of them world class artists. If they leave, that is basically the first was the first step for me is discovering who these artists were and, and really telegraphing uh, what, what would be lost. And then you just multiply that. Um, because those kinds of artists are everywhere in the city doing really interesting work. So to answer your question, it was rewarding to me to, to meet these people and then to, to try and help. So...
0: Um, Some of the projects that we have been working on and continue... So for Humphrey Street Studios, you would think that it would have ended with the artists uh, winning and becoming majority artist-owned and operated. Uh, But the next step in that saga is that uh, the back lot is going to be developed into affordable housing. And the artists there will need to work with the community to help get support for that development, which won't be a problem. But... The project continues on. There'll be other podcast episodes about what happened at 155 North Beacon Street, the former Sound Museum, where the hundreds of musicians have gone and what is going to happen at the newly targeted, gifted property at 290 North Beacon Street in Brighton. That's a whole saga in of itself. Um, We mentioned Charlestown Rehearsal Studios, Another 700 musicians over in Charlestown at risk. 119 Braintree Street in Alston, they will be displaced. Uh, we've been able to help them advocate to get some relocation money and move them somewhere else in the city. We take calls every single week from folks wanting help, whether it's you know the Joy Street Studios here in Union Square Somerville, whether it's the artists in East Boston at 80 Border Street, or pretty recently the um, studio artists at Dorchester Art Project uh, who are no longer in their space.
2: We also get calls since our recent appearance in the Sunday Globe. We've been getting property owners. (laughs) 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 We have space. We have space. So if you're listening and you're a philanthropist and want to contribute funds to helping to acquire these spaces.
0: Or if you're a property owner and you have empty space and you want to help rent it to artists and musicians. right? And there's lots of empty space, right? Well, given what's going on with office space and post-pandemic and lots of folks not coming back to the office, you know, we looked at a bunch of places on Friday. There's lots of ways that people can get involved. So first of all, I would say go to our website, which is artstayshere.org. Learn about what we do, learn about our projects. Um, there's lots of calls to action on the website. You can read our press could read um, in a series of articles in ArtScope magazine um, about the coalition and about arts, music, and cultural displacement. You can um, find out about our RAP, which is our Regional Artists Protections and Policies online petition. You can sign it, which uh, shows support for the work that we're doing and that you're against cultural displacement. You can buy our t-shirt, you can make a donation, you can sign up for the email updates, you can learn about doing your own advocacy, you can write to your own elected officials, and we can tell you all about doing that. Thanks for listening to the Art Stays Here podcast series, Culture Crisis Conversations. You can listen to all of the episodes from our website, artstayshere.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our partners, New Alliance Audio, New Alliance East, and The Record Co. And thank you for the funding from Boston's Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture. Join the movement at artstayshere.org.